Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Some of them were little things, but gee, they can add up to big things if you're not careful. And we all know that if we're overdoing, we become overwhelmed. And ultimately, that can lead to some really, really big issues, both in mental health and also our physical well-being, as well as our financial well-being. Hello, and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast, hosted by me, Josh Gerstner, a chartered financial planner and owner of The Orchard Practice, and co-hosted by Mark Schoffman, a personal finance journalist. We're here to simplify all things personal finance and money related in the hope that you will be able to learn one small thing each episode which helps improve your life and have some fun whilst you listen to us. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. So last night we had our belated office Christmas party. We had to um, reschedule it. It was supposed to be around Christmas time but unfortunately my grandmother passed away um, and I think it was around the day of the party. We went out for a nice uh, Italian meal and then we went to Escape Hunt in Watford. Really good fun. You get locked in a room with your colleagues, which isn't as bad as it sounds. And there are clues around the room to help you escape, which we managed to do, I think, in about 41 minutes and didn't have to get too much help. So I'd recommend that to anyone looking for uh, a bit of fun. Um, an app recommendation for you today and this has come from ryan in the ultra practice team it's called too good to go and uh, i haven't used it but the way ryan has explained it to me is that um restaurants have a lot of and cafes and supermarkets have a lot of food waste some of it they are allowed to give away a lot of it they aren't for health and safety reasons and so it gets chucked away so what they do is they list on the app food that's about to um, be chucked out to food that's too good to go and you get it at a massive discount so yesterday i think ryan paid about two pounds and ended up with about six baguettes five cakes and two muffins so uh, check it out and let ryan and i know how that works for you if you're listening to this and you've not yet left us a review, please do so. It lets us know you're enjoying what you hear and gives us the motivation to carry on putting content out there for you. So without any further ado, in for a penny listeners, I give you the latest episode, I Am Enough, in conversation with Sheridan Stewart. Hello, I'm joined today by Sheridan Stewart, radio presenter and broadcaster in Australia. Hi, Sheridan. I should say good day, shouldn't I? Good day. Hi, Joshua. Good day. Or good evening, as the case is over here. I think you're what eleven hours behind. It's uh, yeah. For our listeners, it's Thursday morning in England for me, and I think it's Thursday evening in Australia for you. I'm coming to you from the future. Fantastic. <laughs> so you're here today for us to have a chat about your new book, which is um, just about to be released in the UK. The book is called I Am Enough. So Sheridan, do you want to just start by telling us the idea behind the book? It actually started as a journal entry. I'd had a challenging time in my career, in my personal life, in my finances, 
I guess we all had a challenging time. This is a, a COVID baby, this particular book, I Am Enough. And I, I jotted down a few things in my journal. And when I read it back, and Joshua, I'm someone who's been working on novels for years, you know, waiting to give birth to my first great book. <laughs> and I looked at this journal entry and I thought that that is a now topic, this, this idea. And I looked back, I did a quick flick back through my journal, and I'd just been jotting down the word enough you know, in this lovely cursive, that's, it's, it's quite a beautiful word to write. Yeah. And it, it led to a contemplation of what it means to have enough, do enough and be enough. The other side of the beginning of this book was when my husband suggested that I did a bit of a forensic look at what I was spending to, to actually go through my bank statements and you know, he did this at great risk. I could have bitten his head off to look at how much money I was spending in cafes and restaurants. And I'm from that generation where that's what we do to connect and hang out, you know, with my girlfriends, with my buddies, with my mates. We're always meeting, you know, for a coffee, for brunch, for lunch, for dinner. And he was, you know, suggesting that perhaps that's why I was leaking money. And I'd also had a, a relatively small inheritance, but enough to make a difference to our lives. And I was a little bit worried that it was slipping through my fingers. So um, with a fair bit of resistance and taking a deep breath, I went through the last three months of bank statements. So I looked back for a whole 90 days, a whole season. Yes, I was spending as much, if not more than I expected in cafes and restaurants. But I also picked up on all these other little ways I was leaking money. Um, subscriptions that I wasn't really getting much value out of, things that I'd bought that had run out. I'd even bought a 999 Australian dollar workshop course, this online course on podcasting, and it had expired. I hadn't had time to deal with it. I was broadcasting. I work for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is our version of the BBC. Yeah. And, you know, it was a very intense time to be on air looking after everyone during COVID. Before that, we'd had Black Summer with the horrendous bush fires, which I'm sure you've seen all sorts of footage of three years ago. Yeah. And I hadn't had time to use this nearly $1,000 podcasting course, so I sent them a letter saying who I was and what I did and, you know, could I please have an extension? And they sort of wrote back going, uh, no, but for just $89, you can have a monthly membership and extend. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, you want me to spend more? So I discovered all these ways that I was leaking what seemed like small amounts of money, but, gee, they add up. The other thing with having an inheritance, I come from a background which is not particularly financially robust, uh, raised by a single mum, that sort of thing, through my high school years and into adulthood. So I just suddenly felt really generous. I had this little pot of money and every charity collector I stumbled across, I'd say yes to. And I'm sending flowers to friends from around the country. And there was all sorts of ways that I thought, mm, I probably could save, you know, a penny or two here or there. Fantastic. So from there, I, I created the 90-day challenge. I thought, well, I've just looked back 90 days. If I look forward, what could I do to make a difference? So in the uh, book, you save, I think it's almost $5,000 from mm -hmm. these. Uh, $4,758.99 Australian. To be precise. <laughs> and would you have had that um, preciseness before 
hand? Or is it only the, the, the fact that you had the time to look at these things and to analyse it that now you know to the, the penny or to the cent where you are with your finances? Absolutely. Um, it was by giving myself a couple of challenges. There were three challenges. One was no eating in cafes and restaurants for 90 days. Okay. And one was no unnecessary spending. So obviously there's things you have to spend money on, but all those, you know, deciding for a season, I'd just wear the clothes I already have instead of picking up an item or two. I'm not much of a a shopper. However, yeah, there was evidence that I was doing a little more than I (laughs) realised or that I was conscious of. And the third challenge was to go home from work on time. So guess which one I failed in. You tell me, the going home from work. <laughs> going home from work. <laughs> that was an epic failure, but I learned a lot about myself in the process. Um, my friends were not that chuffed with the, it's like, can't we even have a coffee? What about a glass of wine? I'm like, no, no cafes and restaurants is no cafes and restaurants. But, you know, we could make a thermos of coffee and meet and go for a walk in the park, you know, lead balloon, kaboom. Yeah. Uh, that one didn't go down so well. However, you know, I cooked for friends. They cooked for me. Sooner or later, well, over time, people started to warm up to the idea a little bit. How did you find the right balance? Because you went from doing everything you wanted to do and going to your cafes and your restaurants and your shopping um, to you went cold turkey. You said, I'm I'm just not doing that. So how did you find the right balance? Yeah, I did go cold turkey. I looked ahead and thought, what obstacles am I likely to come up against and will there be some exceptions that really should be exceptions. And the one exception with restaurants I made was quite exceptional, which was after my my father-in-law's memorial service after he passed. And he'd always taken us out whenever we were in the area, which, you know, at the time was something like a 1,300-kilometre drive. So it, it was always a bit of an occasion and in his later years, he'd become very fond of, you know, being proud to be able to shout us all dinner. So we went to a lovely restaurant. As a family, we had four generations gathered together. And that seemed like a worthwhile exception as opposed to it's the end of the day. I couldn't be bothered cooking. I think I'll just, you know, grab some takeout or um, I'll have a coffee with a friend because I can. I wanted the exception if there was going to be one to be special. The other thing I did allow myself, Joshua, was to carry $5 so that, A, I couldn't spend too much, but if for whatever reason, say, I was caught out at work with emergency broadcasting, I could grab a cup of coffee. It's like, oh, I'm going to be stuck at work for, you know, perhaps an indefinite period of time because there's a bushfire or a flood or a storm and I need to be on call. I also set myself up so that I'd succeed by both at work, in the car, having some, you know, food that I could access so that it wouldn't be a case of I'm so hungry I'm going to chew my arm off if I don't, you know, hurry up and, and spend some money and get some food. So I did set up for success and it's something I talk about in the book because Often if we, and we all know this this time of year, news resolutions have probably already um, gone belly up, that if we don't set up for success and give ourselves the right support and really think through the scenarios we're likely to come up against, then we are at risk of, you know, falling off the bandwagon and just feeling bad about ourselves. Like every time we fail in one of those resolutions, it just adds to a belief that, oh, look, I've got no self-control or I'm not very good with money or a little bit doesn't matter and it wasn't really about 
restriction per se. It was about self-discovery. Let's lean into what I have. So at the end of 90 days, um, I do recommend that you don't celebrate necessarily by doing the very thing that got you in trouble in the first place. You know, it's a little bit like a diet, like let's have a cheat day. It's like, oh, we're going to undo half the work we did this week. But to really, you know, stop and contemplate, how do I want to move forward? I've tried spending, you know, without thinking about it too much. I've tried restriction. I've seen what I've saved. And I don't know about you, but most people could probably do something with $5,000. It's a bit more significant than a cup of coffee that you've long since forgotten, a catch-up out of obligation. It, it allowed me to really think about where my money was going and yep. to make it count. Fantastic. So the book's split into three parts. So the first part is about surrender. The second yeah. part is about your shift in is it mentality, would you say? Yeah, I guess your mindset, perception. I started seeing and feeling differently. Like I really expected it to be hard and the restrictions or restraints, boundaries that I set myself became quite easy. But while I was exploring them, what came up was some of the things that drove those habits in the first place. Okay. And, you know, that was, uh, I guess, quite unexpected. Like I discovered just by journaling and writing about how I was feeling that one of the reasons that I was driven to, to eat out so often, apart from the social aspect, was escaping a sort of little, a, a, like a, some relief at the end of a long day the idea of having so many commitments, decision fatigue, um, willpower fatigue, they're all very real things, but we seem to expect ourselves to, you know, just power on and be able to keep our resolutions no matter what. But driving home from work, I noticed these huge queues, and it was COVID, so there weren't that many places you could go. So massive queues outside um you know, those drive-through takeaway stores. Yeah. We don't need to give them any extra advertising. You know who they are. They're, they're, you know, endemic across the Western world. And the cars that I saw queued up, it wasn't one particular socioeconomic demographic. There'd be jalopies, you know, old, um, old rust buckets through to, you know, very elite vehicles, electric vehicles and hybrids even. And they were all buying this food. And I thought, well, we can't all be lazy. We can't all have, you know, some sort of body image or eating issue. We're just exhausted. And the idea of after everything we've done during the day, getting home and cooking a nutritious meal clearly um, was not on the sort of, you know, the wish list for the evening for yeah. a lot of people. So in that way, I started to batch cook on the weekend and I, you know, get the the slow cooker out. Um, I did this across winter, which helped. Um, and I would batch cook. And that way it was easy for me to succeed because as I was driving home and tempted, I would just think, just get home. You've got a lovely slow cooked, you know, ratatouille or whatever I had available. I knew it was there. And then I only had to get through a 20 minute drive. And, you know, even I have that much willpower. <laughs> Fantastic. You said your mm. husband helped you uh, when you went through the finances originally. But how did he feel when you were around much more? You weren't going out to the cafes. You weren't going out to the restaurants. How did that impact uh -huh. on your relationship uh -huh. with him? Uh -huh. 
Well, what was interesting about that is that we were working in two different states at the time. Okay. And so when he was there, he was quite chuffed. And I said, oh, by the way, you're allowed to initiate dinner out and pay for me, but I can't go out. (laughs) (laughs) I can't initiate. And, well, and, of course, it turns out I was always the one that was promoting that. So we, we took a bit of time to cook nice things together and to, you know, plan for for that being a pleasurable thing. Fantastic. Um, you talk about choice in the book um, mm-hmm. as sort of the, the third element of the book. What choices do you think um, people have to make just generally with their finances? So there's things like the immediate savings where you don't go out for a meal or don't buy clothes. But then what about what you do with the money? How do you think uh, people can think about that? Yeah, I think the lovely thing about choosing to do a, a limited time challenge, like 90 days is for a reason. The most recent research shows that on average it's not a week or even a month, it's 66 days. And the top end of how long it can take for someone to really embed a new habit, it's 200 and something. It's a long okay. time. Yeah. So I didn't expect to change the world in 90 days. However, by not spending and seeing what I had saved, it was like, oh, do I want to eat out willy-nilly? Do I really want to think about the fact that I would really sleep better if I had a new bed, you know, like some of the, it allows us to have some of those big ticket items, even if you're on a fairly small income. Um, And I I don't want to be like a total wet blanket, you know, saying you should never, ever go out to dinner or never, ever have a takeout coffee and let's support local and all that sort of good stuff. But just by being conscious of it and being conscious of how we choose to spend, it's really quite empowering because it's very easy to think, I need to earn more. I wish I had a pay rise. I wish I had a different job. I wish someone would give me some money. Why can't I win the lottery? A lot of those things are out of our control. You know, how someone chooses, you know, to pass on money is up to them. Um, Most of us are in situations where our employers are saying, sorry, you know, wages are frozen by and large across a lot of industries in a lot of countries. So those sort of things, we, we can feel like we're banging our head on a door that's just not opening. But by choosing what we do with what we have, we then have more choice about how we create our own sense of wealth and sense of feeling in control of what we do have. Plus, there's so many free resources in the world. I mean, podcasts. Um, do, do you charge for your podcast or is it uh, only to for... you, Sheridan? <laughs> no, ours is free, free for all. Lucky I saved that $999 of my <laughs> podcasting course and doing my own podcast. I just pay for yours. But, um, you know, there are amazing resources. Um, I love bookstores and I'm thrilled that my book is in bookstores. It's also going to be in libraries, hopefully in the UK, but certainly in Australia, it's just popped up as, hey, this is coming and here's a new a new listing. And I can go to my local library and it's insane. You can borrow 65 books at once. I mean, you wouldn't unless you're, you know, very, (laughs) very, very fast. But we have amazing resources in our community and, and looking at where we get our sense of peace and what is enough. And when I did my research, which was phone a friend, a lot of friends, text, 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 what do you do to relieve stress? 
most of it had nothing to do with money. It was go for a walk, go for a swim, meditate, yeah. put on some music, you know, spend time in nature, spend time with my dog. Uh, it was go, go to the park with the kids. We instinctively know that there is enough around us if we let ourselves have it. But if we're sitting there with six different streaming services to choose from and we're bored and we're frustrated that they haven't put any new content on and we're waiting, you know, for the new season of whatever and it's, oh, gosh, it's three months away, then, you know, we're missing out on all the things that we could be doing that actually don't cost anything but are adding to our health and well-being. So these are these are very grassroots things, but I think um, you know just Sometimes that example. Yeah, just that example of what I saved in cafes and restaurants, and by doing no non-essential spending, um, was significant. So now I'm really selective going forward. Really selective about, um, say, streaming services. I'll choose one at a time. Sometimes. Um, here in Australia, ABC has something called iView. We have a um, another service called SBS, which has a lot of multicultural films and, and streaming series from all over the world. They're completely free. You just sign up and yeah. have got your email address and who hasn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the amount of, the amount of uh, uh, stuff that's going on in, in um, cybercrime, you know, we do have to be careful. But there is so much there that we can access and then we can be selective. You may absolutely love something that's on a particular streaming service. So you choose that one, but when it goes off, you can switch it off. You don't, it, it, all these things, these notifications that pop up in all our email, everything we've signed up for or even had a look at in the past, we're constantly being prodded to spend more and more. I can guarantee you if you just click delete, they will give you another opportunity to buy that in the future. So yeah. you can you can have a pause. And I think one tip for for the listeners is with subscription services, um, set you're gonna as you've said, Sheridan, people are gonna get prompts and reminders to spend. So set your own reminder on a monthly basis to say, do I need this for next month? Do I need my yeah. Netflix, my Spotify, whatever it may be that people are are paying for, so that you're in control of the decision rather than being bombarded by the uh, the providers. Mm. And before I did my 90-day challenge, I looked at, well, what am I using that I get real value out of? And there is a, a local um, sort of health sort of hangout meditation, you know, all different versions of um, relaxation place. And they had a very low-cost membership. And I thought, well, I'm getting true value out of that. So I allowed myself to keep that one. So it's not about having nothing and sort of suddenly being some sort of um, martyr, yeah. but by by being selective, we really begin to honour our money. And when we honour our money, we have a little more control over what we're doing. I'm one of those people that would tell you, you know, face blank, I don't care that much about money. I wouldn't do what I do if it was just for money. And yeah. many of us are like that too. But that means we can dismiss money and then end up just with this either low-grade or high-grade level of anxiety all the time about have I got enough? Do I need more? Where am I going to get it? And, of course, the book also explores, you know, how we do too much very often. And by choosing to restrict what I do, I realised, I, oh, I was so busy doing some things I was avoiding other things, which is where your podcast has been great exploring some of those topics because I was avoiding doing my tax. I was too exhausted. I wasn't getting around to it. And it's like, that's not going to end well. But 
I was so busy overworking with my very, very important job, which I love, that I was ignoring just basic self-care in the form of my own health and well-being, in the form of my finances. Um, some of them were little things, but gee, they can add up to big things if you're not careful. And we all know that if we're over um, doing, we become overwhelmed. And ultimately, that can lead to some really, really big issues, both in mental health and also our physical well-being, as well as our financial well-being. That's great to hear how you've taken uh, control. And I think one of the great things about the book, about your book, is that it can apply to anyone. So some people might be listening and thinking, well, it doesn't make a difference to me. I can afford to spend the five pounds, five dollars on the coffee, the the fifty pounds, fifty dollars on the meal. But it's all relative to people's finances. They might be spending too much they might be spending in expensive restaurants and their change might be to go to less expensive restaurants. Yeah, and you can certainly set your own 90-day challenge. Uh, these, these are just the things I did. People, I've since done one with a, a handful of other people and they came up with really different challenges. But, and I do point this out in the book, the more money you earn or have access to, you're often in the position where you can get into much bigger debt and yeah. have much higher levels of stress. So for those who are on very low incomes or, or very limited funds, we can often look at what is really a veneer of a wealthy life and behind it there's a whole heap of anxiety and debt. And I remember asking one friend who had you know, bought this mansion and her husband was in banking or something and you know, international banking. And I asked that old um, Robert Kiyosaki question. I'm like, so how long would you be able to survive if this job that your partner does ceased? And I'm thinking, you know, six months, six years, I don't know, I thought it was going to be pretty good. She said, I don't think we'd get through a week. And I was shocked because these were people that I thought, gosh, they are living the life. She looks amazing. She's always wearing something different. Their house is huge. They've got multiple cars. Their kids are going to private schools. It looked on the surface like a great life, but the anxiety to know that you would not last a week if your job ended, that's not control. That's not, you know, um, autonomy or having having any sense of um, being able to relax about money. That's just spending more than you're earning. Yeah, not a good place to be. <laughs> we, we talk about something called lifestyle creep, where yeah. when you first start out, you're, you're earning money and you're managing and you've got a basic lifestyle. And as your income goes up, so does your spending. That's what we call the lifestyle mm -hmm. creep. And we try and encourage people, if your income does go up, the first thing you do is you put an extra amount into your savings or your investments each month. So you don't get used to having the higher income and end up in a position like your friends where you're just spending, spending and spending. Yeah, that is sage advice. Indeed, I wish I'd met you 30 years ago, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Sheridan, it's been a pleasure to chat to you today if people want to find out a bit more about you um or to purchase your book where can they go uh-huh well the book i am enough is everywhere it in the uk it's now in bookstores i believe wh smith um waterstones have pre-ordered so that's very exciting because they're they're big names and um i'm over the moon about that it's also on you know Topia and Amazon and all those places. So, you know, go out, um, perhaps do some research and get yourself a really good deal. Yeah, Fantastic. Find where, where the most affordable way to have enough is and uh, and go for it. Is there anything else you want to 
talk about or add? Just in closing, all I'd like to say is you are enough. It's not actually possible to be anything else. So whether it's about having enough or doing enough, essentially, you know, when it comes to being enough, you already are. We just, we forget. We don't know it. And we have more, all of us, even the, I think anyone who's listening, there are certainly people who are in circumstances where they truly do not have enough. And I doubt they have the ability to listen to a podcast like this. But most of us have things that we can lean into. We have all sorts of things tucked away in different corners of our homes and our offices that we don't even use. And it can be fun to explore those things too and go, oh, I bought that. It must have meant something to me once. Why aren't I using it? Why is it hiding away? Um, how 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 can I utilise what I already have? Lean in. Thank you, Sheridan. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Joshua. Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. penny.